Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, was recently with 70,000 other Seventh-day Adventists in Texas, attending the worldwide session of the General Conference. It turned out to be an exciting adventure filled with intrigue and a lot of decision-making. Lincoln, fill us in. Well, <laughs> where do I start? <laughs> yeah, really. It was 12 days, <laughs> and uh, toward the end I started to, to be a little shell-shocked because so many things were going on. Liberty Magazine itself had a, a small booth as part of the North American Division of Seventh-day Adventists, which is just one among 13. The convention center there in the city of San Antonio is immense, and it has double the area that I've seen almost anywhere else for uh, shows and displays, and they were in two big halls, and both of them were filled. So as far as the whiz-bang gadgetry on display of the church, it was overwhelming. But the real church business was conducted every day in the uh, Alamo Dome. Yeah. And there were many representatives from all over the world, several thousand of them. But whenever there were devotional meetings, as there were at the beginning and end of each day and on the weekends, there were as many, as you said, 50,000, 60,000 plus. It was phenomenal to see uh, people from all over the world crowded together to conduct church business. The Seventh Heavens Church is up to about 17 million members around the world now, and most of them outside the Western world. Yes. Latin America, Africa, and Asia are the majority of the members. So the, the, the demographics of the church has radically changed, and nowhere was that more visible than on a uh, Wednesday, almost full-day discussion about whether women should be ordained in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Now, the Roman Catholic Church are holding a pretty tough line on the male priesthood. They're also holding a pretty good line on celibacy, if not on what celibate priests get up to, but that's perhaps another discussion. Yes, yes. <laughs> but I, I was surprised at the uh, degree of emotion and, and, and at times even sort of an antagonism on whether or not they could be ordained uh, women in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. In some areas in North America, they've even gone ahead and preemptively done it without authorization from the highest authority and gathered together the representatives eventually said, no, they don't want it, mm -hmm. which somewhat puts the Seventh-day Adventist Church at odds with most every other Protestant group who seem to have been lately in a rush to move toward it, although I don't think it's been a great experiment for most of them. There are many complicating factors that emerge with a woman priesthood. But the Seventh-day Adventist Church held tight and showed, at least through its democratic processes, that it can deal with such a major issue without a major split, at least none yet. <laughs> and i got to say, Lincoln, that the vote wasn't even close on this thing. It was not a squeaker. It was roughly 60-40, as I yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah. So, in other words, 60% of the church said no to ordination, 40% said yes to ordination. Did you see any difference between what was said from the pulpit in the sermons and, and what was said uh, in the committees and what was said by the people themselves? Or was the church structure pretty reflective of the will of the church people? Well, there's just so many opinions. Uh, 
the opinions around and about probably were more in favour than you would see in the vote because mm -hmm. there were a higher percentage of, of general attendees from North America where it's not just seen positively. I mean, it's aggressively promoted. So uh, many of the people with the displays and just the attendees from the greater Texas area might have wanted it. But, of course, it's not necessary for everybody to think exactly the same, but True. it's important that everybody comes at it from the same point of authority and, mm -hmm. and reverence for uh, not only the group, but for the, the Word of God. And, you know, I used to be opposed to women's ordination. I can't say I'm biblically opposed now, but I, I, I can see huge cautions to move into something that can have social effects in the church, of course, as well as the very argument itself. And this is really why I'm bringing it up here, because is it possible to have a huge dispute within a church and still keep to the, to the mission particulars? Mm -hmm. That's where we are right now. And so far, I think, yes, the Seventh Adventist Church has been able to do that. But if the level of rancor rises too high, then regardless of the vote, you could hamper your work in a given area, and even worse for our church, you could destroy a global sense of unity. Because there's no question at the moment, you go to any country, and ministers are accepted from one country to another, services are conducted in a similar way, probably even the same hymns, certainly uh, the Bible uh, lesson studies that, that my friend and, and once Liberty editor Clifford Goldstein puts together, mm -hmm. you know, that's used everywhere. Yes. So anything that works against that, that creates a common doctrinal and, and social culture would be bad. And, and women's ordination has that potential to fracture it in a way at the very least reminiscent of the Southern Baptists. Well, Lincoln, how can you say that we are unified? Or maybe I should back up and say, Lincoln, it seems to me that the unification has come as the result of certain entities in the church just doing their thing, uh, ordaining women, no matter what the church says, we're going to do it anyway. Is that what you call unity in our church? Well, no, that's what I call the, uh, the time bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Where that will go, I don't know. The vote has been settled, and, and for five years it, it is not likely to be changed until the next general conference session. What happens in the meantime is very important. What's done is done, but if more is done, if the spirit of thumbing the nose at the, at the higher, quote, authorities, because we're not papal or, yes. or centralized in, in, in the sense of Eastern Orthodox or the Catholic Church, but if they uh, disregard the lines of authority and, you know, just the way the organization is run, I believe it could affect other things. But they've already done that, Lincoln. They've already done that. It's not to come. It has happened. Well, and that's why we talk about it, because I think there's trouble brewing. But I do hope and pray that people uh, slow down and, and, and think about it clearly and wait for the Lord's leading to show itself through the larger group. The New Testament, in its discussion of the Jerusalem Council and other places, I think is very plain, as contentious as things might be. And remember, Paul even spoke up and rebuked Peter at one point. But it, it has to be the Spirit manifesting itself to make it a truly legitimate change of any sort. Mm-hmm. I must admit, and, and you know, I might lose my job, but I did not greatly find in the argument itself, pro and con, great evidence of spirituality. And that, I think, is the tragedy of what happened down there. That's, right. that, is, that is the tragedy. What about the women who have been ordained by the entity of the church and the, 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 the overarching entity is saying, no, that's not happening. What's going to happen to those people? 
maybe the lawyers can better settle that, but they're not officially uh, recognized as fully ordained. But as a number of the statements that came out afterwards, one that I saw from the North American Division pointed out, long ago the uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church have ordained elders, Mm -hmm. deaconesses, and accepted women into ministry. Mm -hmm. They've got pretty much everything except just the ability to start a new church and, and, and a few esoteric things that most people don't even normally think of as a pastor's role. But yeah. everything that goes into the spiritual administration of a church, women are fully authorized. They don't need any further action from the headquarters. I'm a little inclined to think the golden ring that some of the women might be chasing is really a church power. Mm. And that I mean, there may be power and there may be uh, entrenched, like in any organization, entrenched subgroups and so on. But I don't think in any religious organization that's worth chasing. If we're serving the Lord, we should serve before him and not be concerned about gaining power. Or, as I also think it's partly who the, the church tells the state are its formal representatives, we shouldn't be bothered about that because the state shouldn't determine, state approval shouldn't determine what we are doing spiritually. In other words, a commissioned pastor, a woman who is a commissioned pastor can can hold marriages and funerals, can, can be the pastors of churches. Absolutely. Can lead out in the ministry of the church, uh, all except for a few administrative tasks. Am I right? Administrative, like starting a church. Like starting a church or unifying churches or ordaining deaconesses and and elders and stuff like that. Okay. What they can't easily do is take advantage of the ministerial status at the the tax level. Mm -hmm. I mean, some may be able to do it. I'm not a tax attorney, but nominally it's the fully ordained, fully authorized church pastor that has some tax deduction. But that's not all that it. It appears to no, be. No, it is not. And, and uh, <laughs> depending on how structured, the person may get less money than if they were otherwise employed. So it, it's it's a concession from the state that in Liberty Magazine, if you please read it, some of our listeners, you might find discussions on, on efforts from legislators to take away that concession. It's a double-edged yes, sword. The yes. state, church and state are to be separate, but whenever a state gives a concession to a church, it may actually be a favoritism that that we don't want. And so there's, there's a lively debate about that. But I think an element of the uh, rush toward ordination is to, to take advantage of a tax status rather than to fulfill a spiritual function. And that, that troubles me a bit to think that that might be so. Well, you know, I'm going to refuse to think that. I'm just going to say that's not it. It is not a power grab. It is not because of finances. It is for some other reason. And what can we, in the last couple of minutes of our show here, Lincoln, what can we as church members do to encourage the women in our group, the women in our church, to get involved with the ministry of the church and not not go after that golden ring, as you were talking about. Instead, go after saving souls for Christ and getting Christ to come back as soon as possible. What can we do? You partly answered it. I think we could all pray for more of God's Spirit. Mm. And as God manifests His Spirit on His believers, and they're not all in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but we believe we have a very special role at this end time of history, and I believe as we pray for the Spirit, God will work through whoever He will, and some of them will surely be women. Mm. 
I know that is a, uh, I have spent a lot of years in other countries and uh, observing our church and other churches, and I know that women are probably just as powerful as men as far as the ministry is concerned, maybe even in some areas more powerful than men. So Absolutely. I just encourage women to just get involved and don't worry about these other things and just let the Lord lead you to your full potential, as he does for us men as well. So we're in this thing together. Good summary. That's That's where I would like to leave that discussion. And the Seventh-day Adventist Church had a, had a wonderful overall uh, time there. This was a little blip along the way, but I think it emerged strong as a group of people globally who were expecting the Lord's return. www.libertymagazine.org is the website. You can listen to with programs and read uh, Lincoln Steed's blogs. You can uh, subscribe to the magazine. All there at libertymagazine.org. Lincoln, I know that uh, it was a struggle down there at times, but you came back with a smile on your face. That's a good sign, Lincoln. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Thank you for being with us today and, and sharing your words of wisdom. Appreciate that. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call Three Angels Broadcasting Network at 618-627-4651 or email us through our website at 3abn.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. Today.